Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and today we get to talk to Lucas Bewald. Lucas is the founder and chief data scientist at Crowdflower. And what they do is pretty cool. They allow companies to upload data like images, text, and audio and describe what they want done. And then Crowdflower finds the right people to do the job. And so it's essentially a, a training data platform, or as they call human-in-the-loop platform, where humans help prepare the data for machine learning. And they've raised $38 million so far, which isn't too bad. So I'm excited to learn more about what they do and where they want to take it, and also looking forward to hearing more about Lucas's background. So Lucas, thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Definitely. And uh, the audience didn't hear this, but the, the, I, I messed up the intro for the second time in Flyover Labs history, so I had to redo it. So Lucas got to hear part of that twice. So I appreciate his uh, patience. <laughs> So, so, uh, no stress. That was a great uh, overview. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. So before we get to talk about Crowdflower, let's, let's uh, just can tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Yeah. You know. So I, um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a, uh, a programmer, um, and I was super interested in, in artificial intelligence. Um, you know, but there wasn't a lot of resources around to learn about it, but I, I would, uh, at what age I remember writing, how old were you thinking? You know, I remember, I remember being really little. I was like maybe six or seven. My dad brought home from work a, um, he borrowed one of these, uh, IBM XTs. I remember (laughs) (laughs) all you could do with it was actually program. It didn't, it didn't have any programs on it. You had to, you had to write your own, um, basic programs, but I, I was totally fascinated by it. Um, I would literally, I would copy, um, programs from from magazines uh into it and run it wow um yeah yeah you know it's funny actually and then you i learned a really bad programming style because i i, I, I had trouble finding the keys you know because i was so little <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, i would i would optimize for the <laughs> least amount of time thing. yeah exactly so I'd, you know I'd keep my variables as short as possible and <laughs> variable names like it would always be one letter and I, I really didn't no one showed me indentation you know so i, I really didn't see the point of Inventing inside loops in this statement, so I can't even imagine how illegible the code I was writing was. But <laughs> oh. I was pretty mesmerized by it. And so, uh, so even AI. Then back as then. I got older, I, oh god, I got really into yeah, I got I got really into like programming AI. You know, I was really interested in. in I loved games as a kid, actually, and I okay. I loved writing uh, programs to make computers play games. And um, and so you know, when I got to college, I, I knew I really wanted to to, to study AI. Um, and at that time, AI kind of moved from these rule-based systems that I'd read about to, um, to machine learning was kind of just becoming, um, really popular. And, um, I worked at the, the Stanford Robotics Lab building, building actually language translation models, um, and other kind of natural language processing applications. And, and so then I, I went to work, um, at Yahoo in, in 2004 and, and we're actually deploying machine learning models even then to, to do, search relevance to decide how to rank um, search results, which is super fun. I mean, it was really early. I'm not sure Google actually was, was using fully machine learning for their ranking at the time. Um, but it was it was super cool because, you know, I, I remember the engineers 
noticed that I had checked in more code than everyone else combined because the code was computer generated. <laughs> they were just like, what, what is going on over there? Like, what are you doing? You guys are amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I felt, I felt really proud. I remember, I remember, uh, yeah. And, and, um, and so I was, I was really into it. And then, and then I went and I worked for a company called PowerSet that became Microsoft Bing after an acquisition. And, and kind of what I kept seeing was that the, the main thing kind of making it tough to deploy machine learning models in the, in the real world is just the absence of training data, right? If you have good training data, you can almost always build a useful model. Um, and if you don't have good training data, there's very little that you can do. And so, you know, your options are either, you know, move to unsupervised or semi-supervised algorithms, which I think is really interesting, but but really, really tough. Very few companies are actually able to deploy that type of approach or get training data, which is a, um, you know, is a tough, but but totally doable approach. And so that's, that's how I, you know, that's how I got into Crowdflower and, and um, you know, got really excited about helping our customers build uh, training data sets. I gotcha. Okay. And before Crowdflower, was there, did you work on any project that was pretty noteworthy or anything that, I mean, obviously PowerSet was pretty noteworthy. I remember when that was around or I remember when yeah, Microsoft brought that, but um, yeah, anything there that you did that was really fascinating to you? Yeah, I mean, I think like so many projects, I feel like I always have too many projects. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I love projects. Um, you know, say so one one project that I did, um, I did back before uh, PowerSet was I built a. Um, I love the game Go. You know, I mean, now everyone knows about Go from the AI stuff, but I always loved uh, Go. I remember building a 3D version of Go. Um, you know, my friend suggested to do it on not on like a grid, but on what they call a tetrahedral lattice, which is kind of like a diamond shaped you know, kind of crystal structure. And that was super fun. I mean, that was, you know, like, you know, kind of, I, I remember making AI and, and AI could basically beat all my friends. And um, I remember we got in Slash, that, you know, back then, like Slash, that was like the big thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some people downloaded it. Um, so even with and, that, uh, you know, like late. Oh, go ahead. What's go that? Ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, like lately, actually, I've been working on these, um, you know, and I, I got a, I got a house with a garage, which I was super pumped about because I never really had room to spread out. <laughs> my wife never really liked me taking over the living room with my soldering <laughs> iron and stuff. So I finally got a garage, and uh, and so I started building robots in there. And um, so I built a one of the robots I built. I got I got TensorFlow running on it, so it can do it can kind of drive around and do object recognition on a little Raspberry Pi. Um, so I wrote, I wrote, I wrote, I've been writing this series of articles for O'Reilly. That I thought maybe no one would read because <laughs> it was just kind of you know projects that like entertain me, uh, mostly in robotics. But um, but yeah. Anyway, I have so many projects I could I could spend the whole podcast talking about. <laughs> nice. And I, I saw some of those videos on the. With the oh, robots. awesome! Oh, cool, yeah. cool. They're, they're sweet. My God, this guy likes to do a lot of stuff. It's, yeah, you're right. You like to do projects. Right. It's cool. And yeah, I think yeah, the, yeah. The one I saw a different one. One that I remember is oh, was it? It was like. For under a hundred bucks, you could build a robot that could see. I think it was. Or, yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's the one. Yeah. 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 I think it's probably gone down to like eighty bucks now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, like every right. year, this stuff gets cheaper. You know. Yeah, it's amazing. What? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But, anyways, like you said, we could, that's a, we could talk about that the whole time. Um, oh, I wanted. To, so with the with the Go um, program that you wrote, did you, so? Did you write AI that could actually beat your friends in Go? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, it's a pretty simple system, but what, what, um, I mean, I think, the, you know, how simple or what? the thing is like, go, 
Two D go, like everyone knows how to do it, but three D go, you know, no one's really probably probably a three D go in the way I made it work. Like no one's probably played as many games as you. Know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. I don't think the AI was so good. It's just everyone else was talking so bad. At, at, at <laughs> all right, that makes sense. All right. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's talk about Crowdflower now. And can you? Uh, I I gave a brief description, but can you give a, a maybe a better one of kind of how it works and maybe how it's how it's how you started out and what it does now. Yeah, totally. I mean, so the the vision of Crowdflower was always to enable machine learning by helping companies collect training data and do human the loop. So, um, you know, I think it's really best explained with with examples. Uh, you know, people in the field they always get you know, oh, I need training data, right? That's kind of the number one yeah. pain point for people doing machine learning. But you know, if you're outside machine learning, you know, you might not realize how much work goes into collecting um, training data. So you know, maybe, you know, a good, a good simple example is, you know, one of our customers, um, big tech company gets tons of support requests, right? And so, you know, they want to classify the requests based on um, the level of priority. So, you know, if you use Zendesk or use, you know, some of these customer support systems, um, they have, they have tools to kind of automatically flag stuff. But if you're a big company, you probably have your own set of categories, right? That aren't the stock stuff in, in Zendesk or, um, you know, desktop.com. You probably want to like classify support tickets based on your own set of categories. So, what they do is they 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 send you know maybe maybe ten or a hundred thousand of these um, you know tickets or, or emails that come in. They, they send it through Crowdflower, and they they set up a, a bunch of rules. They say you know if you see this type of thing, that's a safety issue, so that we want that to be really high priority. You know, if you see this type of thing, it's spam. So you know maybe we we just do an automated response to it. So they label these these um, tickets, and then from that they build a model, right? And the thing about machine learning is it's really it's often really easy to build an eighty percent, eighty five percent accurate model. Often impossible to build a hundred percent accurate model. So what they do is they 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 run the machine learning, and where the machine learning is confident, they use the answer. But now where it's not confident, they send it back to their original task that they set up to to get it labeled confidently by by a human being and then they can use that label to decide if they want to if they want to prioritize the support ticket or not they can also use that label to retrain the model so that it gets better and better over time and so lots and lots of people use this approach but what crowdflow does is make it all really easy to set up so we set up the the task we find people in the world that can work on the task and do it well we our software makes sure that the quality of work stays high, and then we have APIs that can make the whole thing automatic. So, so once you start this process, you can let it run forever, and your models just get better and better over time. And so, you know, lots and lots of um, you know big tech companies use this. I mean, everyone from you know kind of YouTube and 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 Yahoo to um, Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters and, and and hundreds of other data science teams use use Crowdflower to make machine learning really work for them. Yeah, those are some big names. All right, so let's uh, dive in a little more detail on that example. So I'm curious. So if sure. let's say you somebody sent over a hundred thousand, um, you know, ticket requests, and uh, yep. what percentage of those do you think would be kicked over to a human to be? You, I guess what confidence level do people usually pick to, you know, have it sent over to human and, you know, how many of those, how many of the hundred thousand would actually be sent over and how long does it take? And, 
how many people will have to do it. I'm just kind of curious how the whole process works. Sure. And again, you know, this is why you know our software is designed for data science teams to use directly. So, okay. you know, it's not something that we're selling to people that are not um, technical. So our, our core audience is, is data scientists. Um, so we give them a lot of control, right? So, you know, for some applications, like, you know, we work with a lot of the self-driving car companies, right? And in that case, you know, you really want your car to be really sure, right? If there's a pedestrian image or, or you know, even, even I would say the support ticket, um, routing, you know, if there's any chance that something is a safety issue, you want to put that at the top of your queue, right? So your tolerance for error in that realm is extremely low. Um, but, you know, we also work with, um, you know, consumer packaged goods brands that are going through social media trying to figure out what people are saying about um, their brand. Now, in that application, you know, 95% confidence might be good enough, right? So you might say, well, you know, if it's about 95%, just take the result. But if it's really not sure, really confused about what somebody's saying, then 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 get it labeled. And so, you know, typically the first 10 to 100,000 um, tasks are, are done um, completely by Crowdflower's contributors because, you know, you need to build up a set of training data. And, um, you know, we're really good at, at scaling up to that. I mean, you can, you can get that done, um, you know, you can get that done in, in, in weeks, if not, uh, days. Wow. Um, and what's pretty cool is, you know, you, you as data scientists can set up tasks, you know, fire it off and people will begin working on it immediately all around the world. And then, you know, if you, if you think the results coming back are wrong or you kind of want to change something, but the way you've, you've set up the job, you can go right in and, and change it yourself. It's pretty different than, you know, the experience you might have if you work directly with an outsourcing company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we, we give you really good software and tools to make sure that um, you're immediately getting results and, and you can see exactly how much money you're spending. Um, and we, you can also see the, the level of quality that we think you're getting. So you can you know, put in questions where you know what the answer is or you've pre-selected what the answer is. You can use those to teach people doing the task that you want. You can also use it to judge the people as they do the task and make sure that they're doing it in the way that uh, that you want. So, um, so that's part of the full business, and that's why why data science can do this, because we're able to get um, really high-quality results, which is what you really need for um, training machine learning algorithms. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, and and do you share pricing? Or not pricing. I was curious, how much do you uh, – and it's fine if you don't, but you pay, like, per instance of somebody uh, uh, classifying a piece of data? Or does it just depend on how much they do, or how does that work? Well, so, works is, so, um, so you pay Crowdflower a um, you pay Crowdflower a fee for using our software. Yep, yep. And then optionally, uh, you'll typically pay someone to do the task, right? So, um, you know, our software cost uh, starts at 1500 bucks a month. Okay. Um, and, and, and that, that'll give you up to a hundred thousand, um, rows, which is typically enough to build a good machine learning model. Um, and then we have plans that go beyond a hundred thousand rows if you need that. Um, and then, then you also, you also have to pay the the people working on the tasks, but that's completely up to you. And we're, we're super transparent about that. Right. So, you know, you can say, you know, Hey, for every label, you know, I'll pay the person a dollar. And then you can see if, if people in our marketplace are, are willing to do it for a dollar. And it, it depends a lot on, you know, um, you know, how easy your task is and, and how willing you're, you know, if you're willing to let people, um, you know, I'd say the U.S. do the task because you access to a lot more folks. Um, you know, if you need someone that's, um, you know, fluent in Spanish and also understands how to read financial statements, that can be 
um, you know, significantly tougher to find. So there's kind of an open marketplace that you get access to. Um, but a lot of customers use our software to organize their own teams or, um, you know, organize an outsourcing company they have an existing relationship with as well. Uh, interesting. Okay. When somebody comes, when a, when a new tester comes on, or a new uh, classifier, I guess, I don't, what, what do you guys, what do you call your people who do all the classifying or labeling? Oh, uh, contributors. Contributors, all right. Yep. So when a new contributor comes on, how, how do you make sure they're, they're good and, uh, you know, not uh, messing up? Do you have people like double check like um, their work or how does that work? Yeah, exactly. So we do a whole bunch of things. So, okay. um, you know, we, we actually, again, this is all about giving the customer control and transparency in the process. Yeah. So when someone new comes into our system, they, they don't have a level yet. And, um, and we're constantly monitoring people's work. So we look for, you know, some aggregate statistics, right? Like overall, we think that their distribution advantage should be similar to other people. We think that, you know, how long they do, um, how long they spend in the task should be similar to other people. Then we also, you know, we'll double up, um, we'll double up questions, ask two people the same question and see if they agree. And, you know, if they don't, we might ask a third, fourth, fifth, sixth uh, person to, to weigh in. You know, some, some questions are naturally ambiguous, but some are pretty clear. Um, and then, you know, finally, most of our customers, when they create a job, they will hide in some questions where they know what the answer is. And so, you know, we look at all those statistics on, on how people are doing. And then, you know, as, as people do good work for our customers over time, we move them up level. So, you know, if, if you um, target your task to, to the highest level contributors in our system, you'll always get really, really good results. Now, you know, over time, you might want to scale to, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of people. In that case, you kind of need to make your tasks um, more robust and you can you know, target a wider pool of, of people. Um, but what that does is it sort of gives you, it gives you control over, you know, sort of the cost, scalability, and um, quality trade-offs that, that you're willing to make as a customer. Hmm. And how many contributors do you have on the platform? You know, it's funny, the team doesn't always like me to say it because it's a little, I mean, I guess it's a little misleading. We've had, okay. I think we've had over 20 million people come in and do a task. Okay. It doesn't mean that you can access 20 million people <laughs> right. on a on a given that's... day. You know what I mean? Like, so just to be like super, super clear about that. Um, but you know, there are hundreds of thousands of people active wow. um, on our platform at any time. And, you know, we've what the people on our platform want is they want more customers to come in and, and work on our tasks. So, you know, every customer, they're always like, oh, you know, are you scalable enough for us? And, and today, we're always scalable enough as long as, you know, people are doing reasonable tasks in English. Now, outside of English, we support a wide variety of languages, but in some of the rarer languages or, or languages where we have less work coming in, scale really can be um, an issue. But in English, um, in English, it's very, very hard at this point to... Um, to affect our market. I mean, you would have to be spending millions of dollars on Crowdflower to, um, you know, to, to wow. start to have trouble wow. finding people working on tasks. Yeah. Nice. And, and, uh, and how do you find, how do people find you? I suppose by now they just kind of know you, uh, was it hard finding contributors initially? Um, or... yeah, you know, there's really good, good contributors. I mean, lots of people come in, okay. um, and they, they start working on tasks and the key is figuring out, you know, who really wants to do, um, good work and, and who's really reliable. Um, you know, cause I think there's a lot of like kind of scammy sites on the internet that are like, Hey, you know, make money online, you know, make money from your home. Um, and, um, you know, so it's, it's a little bit tough to stand out in that environment. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been doing it for so long and I think just consistently doing good work for so long that we have a good reputation, um, among contributors. And then, 
we also um, do deals with existing uh, outsourcing companies. So we'll we'll route tasks into existing outsourcing companies, and and um, yeah, that gives our customers who who want to do that a little more trust that you know there's a you know there's a contract and that it's going to someone like in an environment that's more controlled. Interesting. Okay, and. Yeah, I mean, you've built such an interesting platform. Where do you kind of see things headed? Like, do you want to, I don't know, I could see, I guess, different uh, visions for you. I'm curious, before I say what I think you could do, I'm curious (laughs) where you want to take things um, with with what you're doing now. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I think there's a long way to go with exactly what we're doing today. So, um, you know, I think more and more people need training data as they do machine learning and I think Cloudflare is becoming that platform that, you know, everyone everyone knows they can use to get high quality training data. So, you know, there's there's like a million um, important challenging projects within that um, vision. I mean, one one place that we're really starting to expand into is, you know, first of all, the human in the loop system, right? So, you know, keeping more data coming in over time, and then also um, we now offer the service of building the machine learning models for you. So. You know, we, we didn't want to start with machine learning models because we felt like a lot of people were building kind of machine learning APIs and, um, you know, the market's crowded and actually, you know, for a lot of our customers, building the models really their, their expertise, what they love doing. And so, you know, we didn't want our customers to feel like, um, you know, feel like we're kind of like taking away the fun part of their job. We wanted them to feel like we're, you know, <laughs> we're helping them out with the, the hard part of their job. Right, right. Um, so... So, but you know, but but lately, actually, we've been um, seeing a lot of success. Actually, our system will let you build a machine learning model um, directly off the data that you've collected, and so you know, you can actually use that. Um, you can use that to to have a you know complete ML system, you know, soup to nuts that that you can plug an API into and know that it's going to be really robust. Um, but you know, I think like I would say where, where we where we live is sort of the intersection of of hybrid human and and computer systems, and that's Yes, I think that, like always, Crowdflower is true north, right? Is is um, you know, the intersection of of human and machine. And yeah, and that's a good leeway into my next question. Was and I, I saw us in a, another one of your videos about you, know, you were talking about how, and I think it was either chess or go, and I forget which game it was, but uh, how a machine plus a human was better than either one alone. And uh, I mean, totally. Do you see Crowdflower? Um, kind of going into that space a little bit. I mean, I, I was curious, like even more advanced projects you worked on beyond, let's just say labeling or, um, yeah. I mean, maybe that's maybe that question's off base, but <laughs> just curious to get thoughts on it. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think like the realm that makes sense for us is, is what they call supervised, um, learning. So, you know, probably not going to build go playing systems, uh, anytime soon, right? That's, <laughs> right. that's probably outside of what we do, but, uh, you know, almost everything that, that machine learning really does today is essentially a supervised um, learning problem, right? Which means that, you know, you have some, some variable that you're, you're trying to fill in based on um, some data that you showed a system previously. So, um, you know, for example, um, there's a zillion of these problems in, in computer vision, right? Like, you know, if, if you're trying to do self-driving cars, well, you know, first of all, you need a pedestrian detector, right? You know, you need to label out the pedestrians, but then, you know, like, what if you see, like, a baby in a stroller, right? You might need a, you know, it's a model for that. Right? You definitely don't want to screw that up, right? You want your, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you want your computer to know that about yep. that baby yep. carriage, right? And, and 
you know, and then, and then, you know, like people on bicycles, right? And then, you know, what about dogs, right? You know, you, you, don't wanna, <laughs> you know, you want to know what's going on there too, right? And so, you know, I think there's sort of an endless stream of, um, of, of these types of tasks, right? Where, um, you know, it's, it's these kind of clear objective, um, you know, machine learning tasks where, you know, you need a lot of training data and you don't want to screw it up. And then, you know, inside businesses, right? You think about like, all the business processes that, that, could stand to be automated, right? I mean, routing support requests, what about routing sales leads, right? I mean, you know, every big company has a pretty complicated system for that. And, and if you automate that, you can save them a lot of trouble, right? Or, you know, you've even started to see like, you know, HR stuff, right? A big, at a big company, you know, like, like sorting through resumes and deciding, you know, which ones are the most promising um, to look at is a, is actually a pretty good application for, for machine learning. So, you know, I sort of feel like Crowdflare has like, has enough <laughs> applications so. today yeah, with, good uh, point. with, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with, with all you do so far. Well, like right, and, you know, I was like, oh, more advanced, but, I mean, you're, you're actually talking about some of the most advanced machine learning, pro- like, you work with self-driving car companies. Like, what else What else more am I looking for, totally. Dave? No, like, I think that's, <laughs> I don't know. Yes, so that's interesting. And uh, and is that uh, with machine learning, or with self-driving uh, companies, and uh, I had a, uh, CEO of New Tommy on here, so we talked a little bit about that. And he's, I asked about snow because he's in Boston and we're in Madison, Wisconsin. So he said that snow is a not the easiest. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, and maybe you can't disclose this. I, you know, what type of uh, um, labeling do they want done on? Because they, they must have so much data and so many images. So, so are there, is there? I guess it's when yeah, the confidence sure. level is below a, a certain threshold is when. It gets popped over. Like, are they trying to say, is this a person or is this a sign or is this a stripe on the road? Or, you know, I, I feel like there's so yeah, many, I mean, so, so you know, <laughs> each, yeah, there's so many variables. And, and, you know, I think each, each self-driven car company right now has a pretty different take. You know, a lot of them work with us, right? They tend, okay. they tend to be more um, secretive than, than others, but I can definitely yeah. talk generally about what, yeah. uh, you know, what they look for, right? I mean, you know, you see, um, you see all kinds of, classification different companies frame it in different ways right i mean some companies just like hey you know we want to know like anything that might move (laughs) we want to we want to have a classifier for that right so you know anything that's sort of not like a tree or a rock you know like like where where it could like change quickly right so you know a cyclist or a dog like we were talking about um and then you know other other companies you know they they want to say you know hey like what's the terrain here that actually we could drive over right so you know, you can you can drive on a road, but then you can also drive on you know like a gravel road, and maybe in an emergency you could drive on a sidewalk, but you could never drive into a building, <laughs> right? And so, um, you know, so so there's all different kinds of um, labeling tasks that people want, and actually they have different kinds of sensors, right? So you know, some cars have what they call lidar, right, that gets you sort of distance, yeah. um, not just the the pixels. Other, other car companies really focus on cameras and you know um i mean tesla is famously having sonars right and so um you know so these labeling tasks can get pretty complicated right where you're you're actually like labeling things in 3d and then there's even um labeling things in videos right so um you know some of our customers they want to label every frame of a video with with you know where the cars are for example and um that's that's the type of thing that you really need high quality tools to do right because if you know if you're really going to go through every image and label it separately you, you'll never finish right you'll never get those um 
you'll never get a whole series of, of videos labeled unless you do smart things like like we do, like interpolate between the videos. So if you know you label a car in one video in one frame of the video, and then 30 frames later later you label it again, you know, it's probably going to be in between the the two places that you thought it was in in between the videos. So um, so we actually have a whole suite of tools um, for image annotation. And I would say the primary buyers of, of image annotation is these self-driving car companies. I mean, maybe number two is um, satellite and drone companies, which are also taking off and, and have pretty similar similar needs. But that's more looking down, whereas you know cars are kind of looking <laughs> across yeah. the earth at, at other things, right? But but pretty similar, um, you know, pretty interesting, pretty similar types of things. But, um, so with with the with the image recognition um, for let's say self-driving cars, like. You know, there might be a lot of stuff in that. Well, actually, I haven't seen these images, so I don't know. But there could be a lot of stuff. You know, there could be multiple cars. There could be totally. a street sign. Um, <clears throat> so how how is it labeled? Like, do they draw um, around the object, or yeah, how does that? How does that? Totally, work? yeah. So um, you know, again, and it depends on what the customer is trying to do with it, right? So you know, this is again why we really believe in putting the, the labeling power in the hands of the the people doing the machine learning because, you know, if you're collecting labels for machine learning, you really want to have your machine learning people involved in the labeling process. Um, so we don't take a strong point of view on this, I guess. If you, if you, you know, some of our customers, they want to put boxes around things because they have bounding box tools that are then trying to find bounding boxes around objects. That's super common. Um, you know, another um, approach that's, that's gotten really popular lately is called semantic segmentation. And this is where you try to label literally every pixel in an image with, with what it is. Um, so we have a tool that we call our, our pixel labeling tool where um, it's, it's, you ever use this Photoshop with magic wand, um, things where you can, you can kind of drag it and it sort of guesses the edges of stuff. Um, I'm not sure if you've ever, if you've ever seen that, but yeah, we basically yeah, have yeah. a set of tools that it, try, yeah, exactly. So we have a set of tools that, that try to be really smart about that. Cause like, you know, if you're going in, like in, in Microsoft Paint or something and trying to like label every pixel, which, you know, is it, is it part of a road or part of a tree or part of a pedestrian? You know, it would take you years, right, yeah. to, to label images. So, um, so that's why, we, you know, we put together a set of tools wow. just for um, this, this sort of like dense pixel labeling um, use case. And then, you know, and then uh, video has its own, like I was saying, its own set of, set of stuff. So, um you know, I think I think all the stuff with deep learning and images is really exciting. It's, it's been great for for our business. I mean, a couple of years ago, almost everything we were doing was text based, and you know, we were actually looking at the numbers, and, and over half of our new customers in 2017 so far have been doing some type of uh, image or video label. Oh wow, that's exciting! Huh, interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty big change for us, actually. Huh? Yeah, I bet. And and the the text based, I suppose that was a variety of use cases. Like we, you talked about the HR support ticket and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, and especially, I mean, I, the the I think like, you know, people who aren't in the industry probably they probably wouldn't know like you know what's the really big stuff. But like one one place that you see just a ton of machine learning is in um, retail companies trying to rank uh, which search results to show someone. You know, because that that just like totally affects your bottom line. Yeah, right? If yeah. you're Home Depot. You know, and you, and you, you know, somebody searches for like, you know, a 60 inch bathtub and you show them like, you know, 55 inch bathtubs, it's pretty relevant to them, right? They're going to, you know, they're going to go to Lowe's and, and buy it there. So, you know, uh, search is this really challenging problem that also really affects your top line. And so that's, that's where you see a lot of resources, um, 
deployed to to make it work. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so we're, we're almost out of time, but I, a couple more questions. One, one is, and you might not have an answer to this, but I was wondering if you had any type of a um, example or case study that was uh, kind of uh, ab- ab- abnormal, I guess, like a whole <laughs> different project that made you laugh or it's like that you can share. <laughs> and if, if you don't, yeah, have totally. Anything, I mean, we have so many. I love okay. it. I mean, I, I, dude, I could talk. I could talk all day about this stuff. Okay. But one one project that was pretty cool. People, you know, just recently, as they were, um, they're actually building a classifier to detect elephants, you know. And we were like, "Whoa! Like, why are they doing that?" And and I guess it's to they have they have these drones flying around following um, herds of elephants, and uh, and the the point is to stop poaching. And and it's really real. I mean, this customer is collecting tons of data, and and um, you know, has drones out there uh, looking for elephants and looking for humans to. To make sure the humans aren't trying to kill the elephants, so I just thought that was such a cool, cool. application in kind of computer vision and crowd flower. I bet you didn't expect that one when you started in, back in two thousand. Did not. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> didn't did know not. that was that You didn't yet. pitch that to investors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, all right, so yeah, one of my last questions is: uh, I always try to ask, you know, what what you do during the day or the week to, you know, that gives you good energy or makes you happy uh, i mean it sounds like you got good energy already and it sounds like you work it sounds like you like uh working on lots of stuff but uh anything in particular yeah i love working on stuff and I, you know i'll tell you as the company's gotten bigger i think like the thing that really rejuvenates me it's a little weird but i think just just working alone on uh in my in my basement on my own project where i can kind of see how everything works from from beginning to end is uh is is the best like you know whenever i'm Whenever I'm like getting upset at home, my wife's always like, "You should go back to the basement and build oh. <laughs> some stuff the, down there." Go to the basement because <laughs> <laughs> she knows she knows it always makes me happy, you know. So I, I can just like, you know, I feel like time just kind of stops for me when I'm uh, when I'm building stuff. So well, I mean, that's what you definitely up, my favorite thing to do. That's what you grew up doing, so it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. How many How many people work at Crowdflower now? About uh, about about eighty five, I think today. Wow, maybe wow. a little more. We've been growing a lot lately. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Nice. Well, I think we're uh, just about out of time, unfortunately. But uh, Lucas, really appreciate your time and thoughts, and what you've built is uh, quite quite useful for the machine learning industries. So, yeah. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And and I guess for the uh, catching poachers, and yeah, I mean, it's just that's amazing. You should, <laughs> you should write like a, you should have a long list of uh, um different projects like that on your site that are kind of a little different. Maybe you do. Maybe I missed it. Totally. That. Yeah. That'd be cool. I'd <laughs> love to do that. Um, but yeah, so definitely appreciate your time and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Fiverr labs. Uh, as always, I greatly appreciate it and we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks. Yeah. Lucas. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye.